Well, at this time, we're going to look into the Word of God, and uh, I'm going to be sharing a little bit about why we do the International Community of Alliance Churches. Why in the world do we get six different ethnic groups to try to combine and do things in different languages, and what, what's this all about? So uh, before we do that, I'm just going to ask that God would uh, bless our, our time as we look into his word uh, with prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it has power to change us, to make us new. And Lord, it has the power to change the world. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be servants of the word, that we would wield its power uh, effectively. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be our teacher today. I pray that when I speak, Lord, that you would be speaking. I pray that uh, you would anoint my words, that they might be powerful and true, uh, so that the, our hearts would be changed and challenged. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, those of you who know me know that I love to build stuff. I'm always building something in the garage. There's always about four projects in my garage, crowding the garage very much. And uh, so, but probably one of my greatest achievements, building something, I achieved when I was only 17 years old. And it's still one of my favorite achievements that I'd ever made. And so I'm going to show you a picture of what that is. I built that from scratch. Now, you might think, well, that's an awesome job, but it's actually a little smaller than what it looks like, and this next photo will kind of show how big it actually is. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but it was a lot of fun to build, and I loved that airplane. I, I, I built it out of balsa wood and, and, and um, a paper and dope and yeah, dope. I don't know why they call it that. But anyways, that's, that's, what, you, that's what it was made out of. And, uh, but, the, but the most difficult part of building it was after I got it all built, I found out that a, a radio control system was about $800. Well, there's no way I could afford $800 for a radio control system. So my dad said, well, I'll buy you the radio control system for $400, but you got to build it. And so I did. And I built, I, a box came in the mail. It had about 4,000 parts in it. Rheostats, diodes, uh, potentiometers, all had to be soldered into, into, into a circuit board. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And I was so happy when it worked at the end of the day. <laughs> so, and it was an amazing project. And I was so proud of this airplane. I, sorry about the hair, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Looks a little weird, <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> But you know, I, 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 just, I just loved this airplane and it was so dear to my heart and I would do anything to make sure that it was okay. And I actually took off from the driveway. This is, next slide. This is actually the driveway in front of our, our house. And I actually took that plane and, and it flew right off the driveway and, uh, and I flew it around our farmyard and, and the neighbor's farmyard. And it was, it was amazing. It was awesome to see it go. But let's face it. We love the stuff we make. And I, I could go on and bore you to death about all the stuff I've made. But you, know, but, you know, there's a certain amount of pride that goes into it. You know, it's kind of fun to show you the airplane and hear you all go, oh, you know, and then laugh when you find out how small it was. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun, and, and there's a certain amount of pride. And I'm sorry if that's sinful, but uh, that's the way we are. We love the things we build. And, and take any kid that draws a little picture, you know, mom and dad, stick figure, you know, and hey, look what I made, you know, and if you go like, oh, this is a stick figure, you'd crush the kid, but they're excited about what they made, and you know what? God is excited 
about what he made. And if you go back into the Genesis, you find out that God was thrilled with what he was making. I mean, he, he made the light, and the Bible says that God saw the light was good. And then he made land and seas, and what does it say? It says, and the Lord looked and saw that it was good. And then God made the plants and the seeds, and God saw that it was good. And then God made the sun and the moon and the stars, and what did he say? It was good, yeah. And then he made the fish and the birds, and guess what he thought of that? It was good, yeah, that's right. He's like, oh, this is good. And then God made the animals, and what did he say? It was good. And finally, God made Adam and Eve. And what did he think of that? A very good, yeah, God saw, it's almost like, if you see this last one, God saw that all he had made, and it's almost like he was laying back in his cosmic lawn chair and just going, ah, that's very good, you know? And he was just like, wow, this is cool. I made all this stuff, it's so amazing. And, you know, I, I think God was in love with his creation, just like I was in love with that airplane. And then God told Adam and Eve to be holy and righteous and to obey him. And he told them to eat which trees they could eat from and which trees not to eat from. And of course, the serpent came along and tempted them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did. And God's creation was marred. It was ruined. It was kind of like my airplane. <laughs> you see, what happened on that maiden voyage of my, you know, I don't know, thousands of hours that I had poured into it as a young person. Uh, didn't get much homework done at school. But, you know, I built this thing. And it was flying for about five minutes, and, and like about five seconds, actually. And it was almost out of sight, and I'm trying to bring it back. And then it was flying over top of the neighbor's trees, and then it kind of dipped a little low, and I couldn't see it. But it was kind of going behind the trees, so full up. And I didn't realize that it was upside down. <laughs> You know what full up does when an airplane's upside down? Wow! And it went straight into the ground at about, I have no idea what speed, but it completely destroyed it. It, it was, you know, it was about this, this long an airplane. It ended up being about this big. The, the nose of the airplane had to dig out of the ground. The engine was completely underground. It hit so hard. The only thing that was left of it was the wing. And, you know, it broke my heart. I think... I might have cried. I don't think I cried that day. But, man, I was so upset. I was so unbelievably upset. And, you know, I think I'm still upset about that day. <laughs> do, you, do you know that when I moved from my home and went to Bible college, I took this box along with me. <laughs> and then when I went to BC, I took this box along with me. <laughs> And when I moved to Ontario, I took this box along with me. And when we moved into Stonehenge, I took this box along with me. And when we moved into our place out in Vars, I took this box along with me. And when we moved into our new house where we live now, I st and my wife is laughing because she's like, why do you still have that box? <laughs> Let's see what's in here. Bits and pieces of aircraft, balsa wood, and it's my old airplane all busted up. <laughs> I'm never going to rebuild it. <laughs> It'll never fly again. But I keep it. I don't know why <laughs> I keep it. <laughs> 
it's because I, I loved it and I wanted it to work. And, and so I keep lugging it around thinking that maybe someday I'll build it again and someday, and you know, the radio control system is all rusted and it's a piece of junk. It'll never fly, but I keep hauling it around with me. And I believe that God has that kind of love for the creation that he created. Even, I mean, to a way greater degree. And he loves even the stuff that is broken and damaged and wrecked. And even the people that are damaged and wrecked and sinful and, and completely ignorant of him, he loves them. Why? Because he made them. And he's passionate about them. And he doesn't just discard them like junk. He keeps lugging them from house... Uh, I guess he doesn't do that. But <laughs> he, keeps, he keeps tabs on them wherever they are. Whether they're here in North America or in the far-flung regions of the world, he keeps tabs on them. And he, and he longs for them as his dear children. If only they would turn to me. And his passion for his kids is, is strong. <clears throat> but you know what? When Adam and Eve sinned, God judged them. And he said, you know, you're going to die. You're, there's going to be pain in childbirth. There's going to be weeds in the garden. It's going to be a pain to work. You've got to work for your living now. All this nasty stuff. But right in the middle of that speech about how difficult it's going to be, he turned to Satan and he said these words, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. And you might say, what does that mean? What that means, the, 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 the theologians call this the proto-gospel, the prototype of the gospel. It's the gospel in a nutshell. And what it's really talking about is the fact that Jesus would someday come and crush Satan. But in doing so, he would be harmed as well, as if a snake biting your heel. And Jesus did come, and he did change everything. And so when we look throughout the Bible, we find that God, is a, God judges sin. But God has a soft spot for people. He longs to, for people to come back to him. And, you know, after he, he wanted the people to come back to him, and, and, and Adam and Eve had kids, they were disobedient. And God, you know, was struggling, and he, he wanted to judge them, but he wanted to save them. And uh, eventually, it got so bad that God had to judge them. And Noah was the only one he saved. And then after that, uh, it, it happened again. And finally, God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create a special people. And I'll pour all my love and I'll make them special. Uh, so that they will bless all the nations. And I, I remember used to think, I used to think when I was a kid, I used to think, it doesn't seem fair that God would choose one nation out of all the tribes of the world and bless them. Why, why did God do that? You see, you know, because they're Abraham's children, the, the chosen race. And I thought that seems a little unfair. But I didn't realize why God did it. God didn't choose the people of Israel so that he would have a special people for himself. God chose the people of Israel so that they would reach out to all the nations of the earth, and that they would be an example of what it is, how great it is to be a servant of the Most High God, and how God would make them a light to the Gentiles. 
That's why God chose. Look, look, look at what God sa actually said to Abraham when he choose, chose him. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name grace, great, and you will be a blessing. It's not about God just blessing Abraham so that Abraham could be blessed. Oh, I'm so blessed, it's so awesome to be with God. Me and God were tight. No, it was so that he would display God's glory and he would be able to bless other people. And you know what? Abraham is constantly blessing other people. If you look at Abraham's life, he's always giving away stuff. He's always being generous. He let, let Lot take the first choice of the land. He, uh, he gave to the kings that, that helped him and, and wouldn't take a penny of the, of the uh, spoils when he won a great battle with his 318 men. I mean, he was constantly trying to bless other people, but God kept blessing him more and more. And so Abraham was a blessing. But look what it says. It goes on. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now we know that that's, that's looking forward to Christ. But it wasn't only looking forward to Christ. It's also regarding the Israelites themselves as they were. They were to bring the good news about God. They were to be an example of what God was like to the nations. Uh, God repeated the promise to Abraham's son Isaac. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, who are the descendants of Isaac. Well, they're, they're the Israelites. And they bless the whole earth by their presence because God blessed them. <clears throat> you know, when we look at this promise to Abraham, when, uh, Abraham when, when God showed up as three persons to talk to Abraham, and God started discussing with himself it's kind of interesting to listen to God talking to himself. But uh, he starts saying to himself, we, listen to last week's sermon if you want to find out what that's all about. But uh, he says to himself, Abraham will surely become a great nation and mighty nation. In him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Do you see how the people of, the, of all the nations are supposed to be blessed? It, they're supposed to be blessed because Abraham was going to teach his kids how to be righteous, how to be holy, how to honor God. And that's what, what Abraham was called to do, and that's what all of his descendants were called to do. <clears throat> Righteousness and justice would portray a nation that was uh, under God's dominion. The Lord said, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand, and I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. God wanted the Israelites to be his servant and to reach out to the Gentiles. Uh, Again, in Isaiah, it says, Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, to bring back those of Israel that I have kept? I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, and my salvation when you reach to the ends of the earth. People in the Old Testament, was God concerned about the, the people who didn't know him? Yes, he was. It was his desire all along 
to bring the gospel, the good news about himself to the whole world. Didn't work out real well. Israelites ended up being, eh, not so committed to the word of God, not so committed to the laws of God. Often would just end up acting just like everyone else around them. And instead of being separated and a holy people for God, they often ended up being an immoral people. And it certainly wasn't for God. And sometimes uh, we, rec- we, we wonder, like in some parts of the Old Testament, it's very interesting stories of God telling the people to wipe out some of the Canaanites. And we go like, that doesn't sound like a loving thing to do. <laughs> no, not really. Um, but when we read in, in Deuteronomy uh, 15, 16, that, that God actually didn't tell the Israelites to wipe out the Canaanites right away. In fact, he told Abraham, sorry, Abraham, you can't, take over the land of Canaan just yet. You have to go into slavery for 400 years, and then after many generations, you'll come back. And then the sin of the Amorites will reach such a state that they're just going to have to get wiped out. And so, yes, God does have judgment, but God also loves. And sometimes we confuse what, what the Bible shows as, as a disdain for wicked people and a, and a desire to have people change and come to know the Lord. And God's plan in the Old Testament was to reach the world for Christ, for, for himself, for God. And the problem is that, that the Jews became arrogant. And they started thinking, oh, we're, we're God's special people. And God's special grace is for us. And we don't want other people to have that grace. Remember Jonah? That's the way he was thinking. He was like, God called him to go to Nineveh and preach against that Syrian city. And he was going to preach judgment against it, but he thought, well, maybe they'll repent, and then God will bless them. So I don't want to go there. And so he went the other way. But God, you know, after a big series of events, gets him back, (laughs) and uh, Jonah goes and preaches, and he calls them to repentance. And you know what the last verse of the book of Jonah is? The last verse of the book of Jonah says this, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. God was concerned about these people because they didn't know the truth. They didn't know how to live righteously. They didn't know what was holy and just and righteous. And God was concerned for them. But Jonah had no concern. In fact, Jonah says when, when, he, when he finally realizes that God isn't going to destroy the city of Nineveh, the sworn enemies of the Jews, I mean, they were out to get the Jews. And, and for centuries, uh, the Assyrians attacked the Jews and were their, their enemies. And Jonah didn't want them to be saved. Look, look what Jonah said. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah knew God's heart, but he didn't share God's heart. And that was a shame. And I believe we also need to know God's heart, that he has this love for the things he created, the people that he created. He longs for them with a deep, deep longing. That's God's heart. He's slow to angry, anger. He has compassion. He's gracious. He's abounding in love. 
And he relents from sending calamity. He doesn't want to destroy people. That's who the God we serve. And sometimes in the Old Testament, I mean, if you read it, you start going like, wow, God is angry a lot. Yeah, he doesn't like sin. He is angry with sin. But he also is compassion, and his real heart is compassion. And so he has compassion for these 120,000 people. They don't know anything about God, and they certainly don't serve him. But guess what? They all repented, and they were changed by Jonah's preaching. And so by the time we get to to the New Testament, we find actually that the disciples had the same attitude. And, and many people had this attitude that the Jewish people were the most important people and God didn't care about the rest of mankind, which is absolutely rubbish. They said, we, the Jew, we are Jews by Jew birth, not Gentile sinners. And it wasn't just the attitude of the Jews. The apostles had the same attitude. And you can see it when when God keeps pushing them to go and talk to the Gentiles, to go and preach the gospel to everyone, they're not paying any attention. They just don't get it. And finally, God has to do a miracle to show Peter that he's got to go and talk to the Gentiles. And, and basically what happened is Cornelius, a, a Gentile man, who's a godly man, he's praying one day in his house, and an angel appears to him and says, Cornelius, you need to send uh, to Joppa to Straight Street and get uh, someone by the name of um, Peter, and he's going to come and tell you. And so he sends a couple people. And, and Peter, in the meantime, he's, he's kind of hungry, and he starts daydreaming, or he sees a vision, and he sees this big sheet coming down from heaven, and it's filled with all kinds of uh, unclean food that Jews would never eat, like pig meat and, and maybe some snake meat and that kind of stuff. And, and a voice comes from heaven and says, Rise and eat. And Peter goes, No, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the sheet goes back up into heaven. And this happens three times. And at the last time when he's rejecting this unclean food, there's a knock on his door, and it's the servants of Cornelius, the, the Gentile. And they're knocking on his door saying, hey, we want to know about this God you serve. And Peter gets it. He goes, oh, that's the vision's all about, that God isn't a respecter of persons. And he, so he invites the, the two men into his house, something no Jew would ever do, invite Gentiles into their house. And then he does something which absolutely no Jew would ever do. He goes with the men, and he goes into the Gentiles' home. And uh, Cornelius falls down in front of him and starts worshiping him. Peter's like, whoa, 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 dude. <laughs> I'm not an angel. I'm not to be worshipped. Stand up. And then he preaches the gospel to them. And God comes in and fills them with his Holy Spirit. And basically what God did is he took the leader of the then known church and he shook him a little. <laughs> he said, I'm going to give this amazing gift to these Gentiles just so that you get it. Because you're not getting it, Peter. You see, I don't know if Peter hadn't read his Old Testament or what, but he wasn't getting it. And the, the thoughts of the day were very sectarian. And the Jews wouldn't associate with any Gentiles. But that's not what the Old Testament told them to do. In fact, it's not until Nehemiah that you start getting this strong separation thing. But it was only to be separation from the Canaanites who were idol worshipers, not separation from the foreigners who had accepted the God of Israel. In fact, it's unbelievable what the Bible says about the foreigners 
who accept the, the, the God of Israel. You have no idea what the, what the Old Testament says. I couldn't believe it when I started studying what the Old Testament says about the foreigner who accepts the God of Israel. They were not to be considered a foreigner. Uh, the, in fact, even before the Israelites left Egypt, while they were still in bondage, God gave them this command to, to have the, the Passover fellowship and to invite those people who were non-Jewish to come and join the Passover. But they said, but they have to get circumcised. They have to become believers in the God of Israel and be circumcised before they could, they could participate in the Passover lamb feast. Basically, what God is saying is, all the nations of the world are welcome to join Israel and be part of Israel, but you have to believe in the God of Israel. And if you don't believe in the God of Israel, you have nothing to do with the Israelites. And that's what God was, was describing. And so God was make, keeping his people pure while inviting the world to join them. Um, in Exodus 12, verse 19, I think we might have this... Um, when a foreigner lives within you and wants to observe the Passover to the Lord, all his males must be circumcised, and then he may approach and observe it. And he will be like one who is born in the land. But no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law will apply to the person who is native-born as to the foreigner who lives among you. I could not believe how many times that phrase is in the, is in the Old Testament, that the foreign-born, the foreigner, is to be the same as the native born. And God was saying, I want to accept all these foreigners into the people of Israel. I want to be their God. Um, and in fact, God also prescribed that, that when they read the, the book of the law, that they needed to invite all of the foreigners to come and listen to the law of the Lord. Um, and that they were all equal under the law. I have pages and pages, and I can't go through them all, of places where, the, where it says the law applies equally to Jew and Gentile alike in the Old Testament. It's quite surprising. I didn't know that all these verses were there. Hundreds of verses. And, um, and, and they say, I, I just chose a few of them just to sort of share with you. Uh, Numbers 9 verse 14 a foreigner residing among you is also to celebrate the Lord's Passover in accordance with his rules and regulations. You must have the same regulations for both the foreigner and the native born. You're not supposed to differentiate. Did you know that was in the Old Testament? Very strongly so. Leviticus 24:22. You are to have the same law for the foreigner and the, as an, and the native born. I am the Lord your God. Numbers 15, 15, the community is to have the same rules for you as for the foreigner residing among you. This is a lasting ordination for generations to come. You and the foreigner shall be the same before the Lord. There was not to be this chosen people were better than everyone. That was not to be. The Lord commanded that not to be. Um, Numbers 15, and the next verse, the same laws and regulations will apply both to you and to the foreigner residing among you. And another entire page of those, and another entire page. Uh, I told the people at the back that we just need to skip over all those. Um, Ezekiel, even in the prophets, says the same thing. You are to consider them as native-born Israelites, the, the, uh, 
the foreigners residing amongst you. In fact, they were supposed to give them land so that they would be part of God's chosen people. And do you know that, that it wasn't only that they were supposed to treat them equally. Actually, the Israelites were supposed to treat them better than their Jewish friends. Uh, it says, uh, do not mistreat or oppress the foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Don't forget, you were a foreigner. And you're supposed to treat them honestly. Do not oppress the foreigner, for you yourselves know how it feels to be a foreigner because you were foreigners in Egypt. Leviticus 19.10, do not go over your vineyard a second time and pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. In other words, this was a way of taxing the farmers. that They would leave some of their, their produce for the people who were foreigners. And uh, so there was, it was important to make sure that there was work for the foreigners, make sure that they had something to do. And not say, oh, well, you can't speak Hebrew very well, so we're not going to hire you. No, they had to leave stuff for them to make sure that they didn't starve, make sure that they were looked after. Um, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. Leviticus 19.34, the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Listen to this. Love them as yourself. This is the heart of God for his children around the world. And he wanted them to be included in his special people. Uh, Deuteronomy 23, verse 7. Do not despise the Edomite, for the Edomites were, are related to you. Do not despise the Egyptian, because you resided as foreigners in their country. He gets very personal uh, with the Jewish people and said, you can't, you can't treat these people different than you treat your native-born friends. They are part of my kingdom, and I love them. In fact, uh, in Deuteronomy 10, verse 18, the Lord says this. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widows. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. God loves foreigners. Why? Because he, he made all of them, and they are like his children that are scattered all over the place that don't know him, and they're, and they're in trouble. And he longs for them to come home and for him to be able to put them back together. Um, even the Israelites were commanded to take a, a, their offering when they, when they gave it at church, and they're supposed to give some of the money that they're supposed to give to the Lord, supposed to take some of that and give it to who? The foreigners, the people coming in from other places. And I, you know, I'm kind of reminded of Canada. And I love the fact that our new prime minister um, said, we're going to bring 20,000 Syrian refugees here. I love that attitude because it, it actually is the same attitude as God. Don't quote, don't, you know, I'll deny that I was supporting our new prime. No, I, I support him. He's, he's, uh, he's our leader and we have to support him. And he's a, the man appointed by God. Um, didn't vote for him, but you know what? I love this decision he made. I said that is a godly decision that he cares for the poor of the world and wants to bring them to our country. And I believe that we as Canadians have this attitude that we love people. And I believe that we have a godly attitude in this country towards foreigners. And I believe that the church needs to be, needs to have that godly attitude that, that is God's heart for foreigners. And I can see just looking around the room that that's so in this group. And it gives me great pride to, to see that and to know that people are loved here 
uh, regardless of where they come from. And it is our responsibility, I would have to say, because they're God's children, no matter where they are. And God loves them dearly. And he sent us, and, and well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, a few more things to say about the Old Testament. Um, and that is when, when Solomon dedicated the temple, uh, after, uh, he said, um, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land, why? Because of your name. They heard about the great God of Israel, and they came from a distant land, and they came to the temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the people of the earth, all the peoples of the earth, may know your name and fear you, as you do your own people Israel, and may know that this house that I built for your name. Do you know, during the, t the reign of King Solomon, there were more foreigners in Israel than there were people living in Nineveh during the time of Jonah. Why? Because they had heard about God's great fame. Do you remember King David? King David had all kinds of people in his army. You know, the, the, the Hittite, the Gerashite, there was all these different men. And if you look through the, the, the names of his mighty warriors, you're going to find some foreigners in there. And they were grafted into the people of Israel because they loved the Lord your God. In fact, even in gene Jesus' genealogy, there are two foreigners. Ruth, the Moabite woman, is, is a mother uh, in the lineage of David, or of Jesus, and um, Ruth, and uh, Rahab, right. Rahab, the, the harlot. She's a Canaanite. And yet God said, no, I don't mind having the, I want these foreigners in the lineage of my son because they're part of the world that I love so much. And God has a passion. <clears throat> I love what uh, Solomon said. As for the foreigner, oh, I already read that. <clears throat> Isaiah 56 says, I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. And their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for who? <laughs> I didn't <even> say that. <laughs> All nations. And Jesus quoted that when he was chasing the money changers out of the temple. He said, Did not, does, is it not written that my house will be a house of prayer for all nations? This was not a temple dedicated to God for only the Jewish people. God was interested in all nations. Um, Isaiah 60 says, nations will come to your light. Uh, kings to the bright light. Daniel even when he was in a far distant land, was bringing praise to the glory of God. And if you've ever read through the book of Daniel, and you start to wonder, like, why did King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledge that God was alive? And it seemed like the kings of this, this very pagan nation were aware of the great God of Israel. Why? Because people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were spreading the news, and they, they didn't care whether, whether you were Jewish or not. They were glorifying God and honoring God. And now we get to the New Testament. And I'm only going to spend a few minutes here, and then we'll be done. 
Bible says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some would understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants everyone from around the globe to be brought to repentance. The commission that Jesus gave to his disciples said, Go and make disciples of whom? All nations. Exactly. That's our mandate. And that's what the disciples, but the disciples didn't get it. <laughs> you know, you find, you find even Paul going to the, the, the synagogues first, and, and the, the apostles were going only to the Jewish people. But wherever they went outside of the Jewish realm, God's blessing went with them. They went up to Samaria, and they found some people, and sure enough, they pray for them, and the next thing you know, they're all speaking in tongues, and God was blessing them. Uh, you heard about the story about Cornelius, wherever the gospel went outside, God was blessing it. And God was pointing out the fact that he had sent them to the the people of the world. You know, that great day on the day of Pentecost, when God's power came on the church, guess what God had arranged to happen that day? An international meeting. You got it. Look what it says. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Right there at the beginning of the church, God made sure that he gathered people from all the nations under heaven. And he had them sitting in Jerusalem right at the time when he was going to kick off his church. He just made sure they were all there. And when they heard this sound, that was the sound of the the apostles uh, speaking in tongues, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard the language spoken in their own language. Whoa, whoa, whoa. How, How did that happen? How could they all hear? There's only 12 apostles. But there's people from all over the world. They heard them speaking in their own language. I don't know whether they were speaking in a different language or they were hearing in, the, in their own language. I'm not sure which. But God was doing a miracle. And it shows to me that God cares about the language of the heart that people spoke. And I believe that it makes a lot of sense for us as an international community of Alliance churches to have different language groups in our midst so that people can hear the good news in their own mother tongue, in their own language. And they can pray to God in their own mother tongue. Have you ever heard someone who doesn't speak English very well pray? Almost invariably, they'll cut back to their native tongue because it's the language of their heart. And they want... And they're serious about talking to God. And they want to speak in their heart language to God. And so in our prayer meetings uh, at Burning Hearts House of Prayer, we always say, you're welcome to pray in your mother tongue. And people do. Because it's important to God to have a personal relationship with us. And so right here at the beginning of the church, God thought it was important that people hear the good news in their own language. These people they probably could understand Hebrew. But God arranged for them to hear the words in their own mother tongue. And utterly they, um, they amazed, they asked, aren't those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of, them hear, each of us hears them in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontius, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Notice that? Both Jews and converts to Judaism coming from all over the place. Cretans and Arabs. 
We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? You would think that the, that the apostles would get what this means. You'd think that the apostles would realize that they were, in fact, supposed to go to every nation under, under the world and share the gospel. But it took God a few miracles and a bit of pushing and shoving and a bit of persecution to get them out of Judah and out into the world. And, but God did it. God made sure they got out there. Uh, and then we come to the, the final verse I want to share. And this is my favorite verse when it comes to the international community of Alliance Churches. And this is found in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Paul is in the Areopagus, and he's, he's debating with the learned men of the day, the philosophers of the day. And he's telling them all about the great God of Israel and about Jesus Christ who died for their sins and rose from the dead. And then he says this, from one man, he's talking about God, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from each of us. And my friends, today in Canada, God is longing for his children from all over the world. And guess what? Some of the countries that God has children in that don't know him are closed to the gospel. You can't go there as a, you can't get a missionary visa. You can't go there. But they're allowed to come to Canada. And God is sending people to this country. And God is sending people into your neighborhood, into your school, into your business place, and into my field of reach that are from all over the world. And God has a heart for these people, and he's sending them to Canada because in Canada there's no laws that prohibit the fact that we can proselytize. And in which most of the world has laws against that, but Canada does not. And I heard my brother uh, Abdel saying, his wife saying to him, uh, why are we going to Egypt? You know, we get persecution there, but here we, we're free to talk about God, and we're free to to share the gospel with it. And, and you know what? They're living it. And I'm going to ask Abdel, do you have something prepared for us? Something short? <laughs> Sorry to leave you right at the last minute here, but he's just going to share one little story about him reaching out to people from other nations. Is it from another nation? I forgot to ask you. <laughs> Come on up, Abdel. <clears throat> You can just stand here. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Pastor Bell. When he was speaking to you, he said, people from different nations come found love here. Yes, I did. When we came five years ago, we found love in your church. And I would like to thank you for this and thank Pastor Bell. God bless you. The, we go outreach, actually, uh, in the downtown. And I remember three sh very short story. It's not actually, uh, it will not make you happy. <clears throat> One of the stories that we, I met uh, someone, his name was Chris. And uh, he converted to Islam. He is Canadian. And when I asked him, why you converted to Islam, to be Muslim? He said, because my, my parents was an atheist, 
and he was longing to God. So he felt someone leads him to, to be Muslim. Then I asked him, okay, do you know, do you know a lot about uh, Islam? Because uh, you have to know what you have been converted to. Then he said, what do you mean? I told him, for example, to be a Muslim, if you decide one day to go back and not to be a Muslim anymore, there is punishment. The punishment is to be die, is to, to put in this. So he said, no. Then I found suddenly someone coming behind him. He is Muslim. And he started to talk to me. And it seems that he is leading him somehow. The second story also at Rido Center and food court. So I was, I was giving some Bibles over there. Then someone I met, he was also Canadian and he converted to Islam. But when I asked him, why you did this? He said, because I have a lot of unanswered questions about Christianity and is Jesus is the God and some question nobody answered him. But somebody else gave him a different God. The last story was in Parliament Hill when I, uh, me and Hanan, we met a couple uh, and the man was Arab. He was speaking Arabic. But I realized that his wife was covered, but she's looking like Canadian or uh, not Arab. So we, we shot with this, uh, was, I spoke with this guy, but I realized that he was like to keep our, his wife away from us because she came and she would like to speak and answer some, uh, uh, and ask some questions. But then he took her and said, be away. And then she stands. I think what I could understand, he is deceiving her. He married her, she is not Arab, and he made her a Muslim, and he, she put this cover, and she doesn't give her the right information about what the difference between Christianity and Islam. I believe we have, or you have to, to know some, uh, some information about this, and you have to teach your daughters and your neighbors, what is this? because simply they don't know, and they accept what they tell him. Uh, there is two books here I brought maybe one year ago, Jennifer brought it, uh, speak about what is Islam. So you can, you can borrow this books and have more information. And there is a ver very good movie, I just saw it yesterday. It calls Not Without My Daughter. If you Google Not Without My Daughter, it says his story about a girl uh, married a Muslim guy from Iran, and it's very uh, good. So thank you very much. Thanks, Abdel. Appreciate it. I met a pastor in uh, Juarez, Mexico, and he, he was a very professional man. Uh, ran about six churches in the city and uh, ran a camp three hours out of the city. And um, I was very impressed with this man, man of God. 
But one day, he was talking about his son who had left the faith, and he didn't know where his son was. And he, he was weeping over his son. You know, I, I started the, today talking about my airplane that crashed. But you know, that doesn't even come close, not even by a million miles, to the love and the pride I have for my sons. And how, how awesome it is to be a father. And if one of those sons would get lost, and I wouldn't know where he was, or whether he was walking with God, or whether he'd been killed in action, maybe if he was in the army or something, if something like that happened, you have no idea how much longing would be in my heart for those boys. And you know, God has sent these people from all over the world to within our earshot. And some people like Abdel and Hanan are saying, they've got, they get it. And they're like, these people have come here and God is sending them to us so we can talk to them without fear. And I know there's others of you that do that. And so I want to just challenge us to really be the international community of Alliance Churches, to really be longing, that have that same longing that God has for his lost children, and join him. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. You know, my ministry is about saving the lost. I don't do a lot of seeking the lost. And uh, I, I kind of wait for them to come into the church, you know, <laughs> and then I share Christ with them, and I get the privilege of leading dozens and dozens of people to the Lord every year because they've come. But God really said, go out, go. Go out and seek the lost. And so that's my challenge for us today. I had a video, but we have run out of time. And so just like the father that uh, longs for his son to come home in the story of the prodigal son, I implore you to to enter into the Father's longing for his children and become his witnesses, his emissaries to go and reach the lost for Christ. We're going to invite the worship team to come and they're going to close our service with a song and lead us in that. Thank you.